a fellow I know, folks call him Sam. He never gets as much as he gives. But if you'll give a listen, please, sir, please, ma'am, I'll tell you something about how Sam lives. The story Oscar Brown Jr. crooned in his 1961 Sam's Life could be biography of any of the thousands of black men who decades before transplanted themselves from exhausted lands in the U.S. South to plantations of the North, factories. Everyone, however, didn't feel like Sam. Before we came to America, we were living in the east. By the Nile River, we were living in luxury, enjoying freedom justice. And equality, we wore silk and robes, it was a gold, we were the wealthiest and the wisest people. Louis X, now Minister Louis Farrakhan, recorded White Man's Heaven is a Black Man's Hell during the same period. Whereas Brown's character, Sam, was accepting, resigned to work the hand he's dealt, X's narrator wants something. Black man hell. These recordings document in song a change in sentiment, attitude of black people in the U.S. and in Detroit. Politically, this shift was expressed by two visionaries, one who emerged from the North, one from the South. I've been trying to think about what I'm going to preach about tomorrow down at Central Methodist Church in the Lenten series, and I think I'll use as a text, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There was two kinds of slaves. There was the house Negro and the field Negro. The house Negro, they lived in the house with master. They dressed pretty good. They ate good because they ate his food. But he left. King Solomon Baptist Church on Detroit's west side is where Malcolm X gave his famous message to the grassroots. It countered the established civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King, who that same year led a freedom walk of 100,000 people down Woodward Avenue. Chicagoan Bob Lucas had ties to many Detroit area activists. When we started out in the late 50s and the early 60s, we thought this was a country of morals and people had respected morality. We felt that all we had to do was have some meetings and have some rallies and make some placards and pass out some leaflets and then and show America what she was wrong and she would just give us our freedom just like that. Well, that's really because we were naive. Segregation versus desegregation was playing out on television sets in newspapers and in radio reports. The Negro question became public and personal. And while the dogs were biting and hoses were trained on peaceful marchers, while some were beaten or killed for their effort to, as poet Langston Hughes wrote, let America be America, others were beginning to reject the strategy, tactics, and premise of the nonviolent movement where racial integration, led principally by the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. For many blacks, the civil rights movement no longer hit the mark. Black power movement, to me, meant basically to give people a sense of pride. James Jackson is a doctor living now in Muskegon. It was never one to give people a sense of what they could do to empower themselves. Jackson and attorney Milton Henry were candidates for governor and lieutenant governor for the Michigan Freedom Now Party. 
While the quest for electoral power was important, Jackson says it conflicted with a drive for self-identification embodied in the black power movement, and it created confusion. All that kind of confusion just led for uh, continual errors, like burning, not realizing the kind of struggle we were in, uh, uh, accepting the kind of jobs that forced us to do the things we were complaining about, like mayors, police chiefs, and everything else. All they did is change the color and not the structure. But in order for us to change the structure, we had to know how to get power. And that philosophical approach never became a reality. As the Michigan Freedom Now Party ran candidates, the seeds of black Christian nationalism were being sown by Reverend Albert Clegg in his church on Linwood. Not many blocks away, there was constant activity at the Nation of Islam's Temple No. 1, founded by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the 1930s. Leftists were organizing workers and students, and through years of reading, study, talking, organizing, this melange of activists and thinkers was able to articulate demands for addressing brutality of Detroit's police officers, inequality in the auto plants, and the destruction of strong, economically viable parts of black communities for Interstate 75 and other urban renewal projects. <laughs> In Detroit, NAACP members created the innovative and highly successful Sip In for Freedom Club, a variation on the movement's pray-ins and wade-ins. Supporters would pay for sipping wine or champagne to raise money for the association's activities. More radical ideas and actions were alive, too. Now director of the African-centered elementary school in Sorama Institute, Malik Yakini wears his hair naturally and glossy dreadlocks nearly to his waist. Though only 11 in 1967, he first tasted political power as a student at Post Junior High. I guess as a young man, we were looking for very strong images and very radical militant images and the civil rights movement didn't provide that for myself or those who were around me. Uh, so that's one re reason we gravitated more towards revolutionary politics, more towards nationalist and pan-Africanist thinking. I was just much more attracted to the strength and the, the dynamism that I saw within these kind of new, the new jack <laughs> uh, leaders at that time. New jacks of the day were Communist Party member Angela Davis, who with her signature afro was on the lam. Huey Newton, the Black Panther Party leader, photographed on a wicker throne, spear in one hand, rifle in the other. But even before the photos were shot and blown up, Descendants of the enslaved wrestled with what to call themselves, color or Negro with a capital N, perhaps black. In post-67 Detroit, new words and ideas became common. Self-determination, black power, police became pig, African clothing became fashionable defense funds to free Huey, Angela, the Chicago 7, Muslim names, natural hair, watermelon-flavored pop, afros, cornrows, bean pies, and Marx, Engels, Mao, and Stokely. The problems were not caused just by an individual, but by the establishment, the system, co-optation, pacification, conspiracy theories, and do your thing. I'm Kenge Zola.